Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of Venturing at VC. I'm your host, Landon Campbell from Inside.com, and boy, am I excited for this new series. Just know that every single week, you get to hear from top venture capitalists in the world about their routines, journeys, and lessons. We have exciting guests every single week. So how we're going to do this is we're going to be recording our show live on Tuesdays at 12 Pacific time. You can sign up for that every single week at inside.com slash VIVC. Come to the show, ask your questions. I'll make sure to ask the guests. You can tune in exclusively. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then every single Thursday morning episodes will go live on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you want to tune in we will be there. You know, we had to go big. We had to go huge, I should say, for episode one, because why not? So our next guest, you've for sure seen one of his tweets, or more than likely one of his memes. Turner Novak is who we spoke with for episode one of Venturing in VC. He's the founder of Banana Capital, and he's one of the funniest VCs on the internet. It was a blast being able to speak with him, and just know that this is a really, really fun episode. Before we dive with Turner though, I want to say thank you so much to our amazing sponsor for season one of Venturing in VC, Seed Invest. Fundraising isn't easy, but it just got a whole lot easier. You can apply to start your own raise on Seed Invest or browse a list of highly vetted startups that you can invest in. You can learn more at inside.seedinvest.com. Well, let's jump in with Turner Novak for episode one of Venturing in VC. All right, without further ado, Turner, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, very uh, nice and uh, maybe a little bit too deserved introduction, but really appreciate it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you're our first guest. We're just super excited to speak with you. And we're going to be, you know, venturing throughout your entire career, um, letting people really get an inside look about how you broke into VC your early days, and of course, uh, the amazing impact you've had today. So if, you've, if you're into it, we can get started. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Perfect. Um, so I understand, Turner, you were obsessed with the internet growing up. Um, we'll just start there. What drew you to this excitement? Uh, I think, honestly, just like growing up, my parents got divorced, so we were always moving. I went to one school, but like didn't live close to all my friends in school. So a lot of the times it was kind of, all right, well, what can you do? Like you, you talk to your friends online, you'd play video games with them. I think that's probably just kind of how it happened. We also didn't always have internet when I was growing up. Like we'd move, my mom would get the new, you know, six months, it's $10 a month. And then after they jack up the price, so she'd cancel it. And then we wouldn't have internet for a while. And then we'd move again and then we'd get internet for a couple months. Um, so I guess I just learned to appreciate it and, that was kind of where I, I actually probably made more friends at school from the internet, like playing video games with each other, or just like talking on AIM. I'm kind of dating myself, but yeah, <laughs> that I actually did in school. Like you'd like meet a, like you'd never have a class with someone, but you just play like Halo or Call of Duty with them. And then you start eating lunch together and, and then you were friends. So it's kind of crazy how, like, I think that's always happened, but it's just become even more prevalent nowadays. So that's kind I, of where well, it started. I don't want to age you too much, but I do have to mention as well. Talk to me about MySpace coding. Um, I'm familiar that you were a big user back in the day too. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I guess I did. I probably more Zanga. That's like it was like pre MySpace. <laughs> it was basically like blogs with um with you could you could customize use like HTML and CSS to change your your Zanga blog. It was kind of like um it'd be equivalent of like a Substack that you could like customize and like comment and you know people would like hack the pages and stuff. I actually did. I made like custom Zanga templates with a friend back in like seventh and eighth grade. Uh, and then yeah, with MySpace changed a little bit and then Facebook made it so you couldn't do that anymore. But yeah, I think that's actually, I think that's how I initially learned how to code. I don't remember anything at this point, uh, but I do, that was probably the first time was just making, like learning how to make these templates, basically code that you'd copy and paste into a, into a small section, but you could use it to like hack and change your whole page. Um, I don't know. It's, I think most people are probably post MySpace that are watching this, but it would be like the equivalent if you could put a certain, if you could put like code into your Twitter bio or your LinkedIn bio and it could like okay. modify the page and like customize your, uh, your LinkedIn page or your Twitter or your Facebook. So a lot of people did it. And actually I think that's why Facebook ultimately was successful because a lot of these sites were chaotic. Like you'd go on MySpace and there'd be music playing the page would take forever to load because not everyone had good internet. So anyways, I learned a lot from it though, for sure. So no, I remember those days for sure. And, um, you know, through all of that excitement, um, you know, really getting your hands dirty as well with the internet, you knew that you wanted to do something tech related, but you chose to go to school for accounting and finance. I'm curious, what made you choose that path? Uh, just growing up, my, like my mom just never had money. Like we just never had any, like I was kind of the kid, I got reduced lunches every day. Like I got the, the deal where you'd pay 40 cents and you'd get a PB and J and like a cookie or something and like some milk. Um, so we, we just like didn't have any money. And I, my mom had her own small business, didn't make any money with the business. I just kind of said, I want to probably own my own business one day. I want to learn how this stuff works. I'll probably do something tech related, but I kind of already get how that all works. Like I kind of well, sort of learned how to code when I was in high school but I kind of realized, like, I think to really understand business, I was like, I'm just going to go to school for it. I remember um, there's accounting classes that we could take in high mm -hmm. school, and it was so confusing. I was like, finance, like, this is, I don't get this. I was never that good at math. Um, just like, like, naturally, like the, you know, which is maybe why I'm a VC, because you don't have to do math. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so I was just like, man, I just need to understand how businesses work. So I knew I'd kind of do something at the intersection. And I thought that you can kind of learn how like technology works. You don't really need to go to school for it, but you probably want to learn some of the fundamentals of, of course. business. So just thought it was the right move. And I, I couldn't really move because we were originally from Canada. So I had um, technically I wasn't a, I wasn't even like a the right kind of resident status until I was like my senior year of high school. So I just kind of had to go to the close public state school basically got my like official long-standing green card senior year of high school before that we were like renewing you can renew your visa every year tough process and it just made applying to college is kind of tricky so yeah um and you did just mention that growing up you kind of recognized that you did one day like want to have your own business i think that's a perfect transition we're going to bring it back to uh tdn capital i want you to talk about that a little bit this is a company where you sold real estate 
the company that you say would help you quit your job and make the jump into VC. Um, what was yeah. TDN Capital? And just for everybody which listening right now, like how do you know when the right time to transition into VC is? Yeah. Uh, so that was basically just the name. TDN Capital was the name of the holding company that I used to buy some real estate with. Basically mm-hmm. bought two houses in Michigan. Uh, I don't know where everybody's listening from, but in Michigan, you can buy real estate for relatively cheaper compared to other markets. So if you have a couple thousand dollars, you can use it as a down payment on a property. So that's essentially what I did. I had the um, one of my tax refunds, you know, every year when I was, you know, uh, like basically every year up until like this past year, I've just gotten like a huge tax refund check because, you know, you kind of, you're below a certain income threshold and you, know, you kind of overpay on your taxes. And then Uncle Sam gives you like 3000 bucks, 4000 bucks when you file your taxes, which was actually awesome because it would basically say like, oh, here's a bunch of money that I can do something with. So the first time I got it after my very first job out of school, it was like a couple thousand dollars and it gave me enough because I was basically always living paycheck to paycheck my entire life. Um, so it was like, holy cow, a couple thousand dollars, I can do some damage with it. I'd bought some stocks in college, you know, saved up a couple hundred dollars that I was investing, never a whole lot of money. Uh, and then I, my mom had just gotten divorced, got a little bit of money from it. And I told her, if you give me, um, it was like a year's worth of rent up front. It was like way below market rate. But I was like, if you give me a bunch of money up front for rent, I'll let you live with me just for free. Like it just, it was, it was a good deal for her. Um, and then for her, it was like, a, you know, I'll help my son buy some real estate. So it was a combination of my tax refund, my, my eventual partners, we were dating about to get married at the time, tax refund. And then I also convinced my mom to give me a little bit of money too, that she had just kind of gotten. And she, she didn't have good enough credit to buy her own house or anything. So mm-hmm. let her live with me for, it ended up being about 15 months, basically let her save up. I mean, she was saving a ton of money. She was paying like $300 a month in rent, kind of when you effectively prorated it all out over that period of time, was able to buy her own house. And then um, we bought another house like three years later, moved out of that first house that we lived in and we just bought it really cheap, found a good deal. We're able to rent it out for kind of a good spread on the mortgage. So it ended up being a really good rental property. Um, and then, yeah, when I made the jump into VC, again, like I was kind of always living, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, but I wasn't saving thousands of dollars every month. It was basically, you know, you're clearing it, maybe saving a couple hundred dollars. I was married with one kid at the time, so it's hard to, to save a lot of money. So when I made the jump into VC, I had a little bit of savings, um, but I quit my job and it was like an 80% pay cut. So I was going to run out of money pretty quickly. So I just, and I couldn't afford my mortgage anymore for the house we were living in. So basically just sold all the real estate, cashed out. It was about a year's worth of runway to kind of live off of and made the jump into VC from there. Hmm. Didn't want to sell the real estate. Real estate is kind of one of those things you just want to buy and hold forever. Um, But it was worth it at the time. I think it all paid off. So. And obviously, we're going to get to later in the conversation, some of the companies within your portfolio that you're investing in. But are you currently, you know, investing in any real estate tech companies or anything within that industry? Real estate tech? Uh, Not really. I think it's, it's kind of tricky. It's like a super fragmented industry. The it's it's kind of hard to to differentiate the products. Um, A lot of the customers 
are so the, the customers are fragmented. It's usually just like local investors, and then uh, typically they're kind of older, so they adopt technology a little bit slower. slower. Yeah, uh, their businesses are generally run on spreadsheets. They're which again, this is like an opportunity to kind of build software for, but also a lot of them don't really want software. They don't want to change things. So I think there's definitely some cool things you can do. Um, but but again, I think historically it's led to just like really, it's really inefficient to acquire customers. And it's just like hard to differentiate the products. Um, it's probably changing. There's I, I've seen a couple of companies that are like, actually have really interesting takes like pipe for landlords, like unlock your get paid rent upfront, just using our financing tools. There's some interesting stuff like that out there. Um, but yeah, generally just kind of shied away. Um, I've always been really worried about being at the top of the cycle. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, I think landlords are people that are probably a little bit exposed when there's like some kind of economic downturn. I mean, that's been wrong the last two or three years and I'll probably still be wrong but I've been pretty defensive from anything that's like too at risk to kind of like the credit markets turning. So. Hmm. Um, so I think that this is a perfect transition for us to now talk about your days in VC. I mean, not only have you been able to break into VC, but you've really been able to build a brand in um, the industry as sort of the funny VC, your viral VC, TikTok bros have garnered hundreds of thousands of likes. Um, yeah. your viral Twitter memes have brought a lot of attention to your fund specifically, I'd say distribution, publicity, and deal flow too. Um, let's start here. As someone who has garnered a hundred thousand followers on uh, Twitter, how did you do it? Yeah, how did I do it? Uh, I would probably suggest a slightly different approach like nowadays in 2022. Wow, sorry, 2022. Uh, That's scary. Yeah, basically, initially, I just, I just like realized I needed to kind of meet people, build a brand per se. I mean, these are all things people kind of think about. So of course, uh, I just kind of thought about some things I wanted to share with the world, like maybe some things I had a unique uh, perspective on or thought that other people weren't thinking about the same way as I did. And just kind of started to share kind of like the insights that I had or my opinion on things. Uh, going going back, like exactly what I did. Um, this was right around the time that uh, it was like, like a year after Snapchat had IPO, maybe like a year and mm -hmm. a half. Uh, and they, they like redesigned the app. It was like a disaster. They were basically the next MySpace. I mean, a lot of people thought they were like going to go bankrupt or get acquired. Uh, and I was just like, I kind of disagree. Like if you just kind of look at first off, there's the data they have, like, I think at the time, 70 million people in the U S using it every day. It was like half of what Facebook had. And that's where most of Facebook's cash flow was coming from was showing ads to us users. And then they're just, they're doing a lot of stuff on the product side, just like ch making changes that I thought were going to impact the retention, the, which initially sucked. I mean, it really hurt initially. And then um, just add, add new opportunities to add new revenue lines, just like maybe increasing like how many ads they could show or adding like new product capabilities that would add like new forms of monetization potential down the line. That was essentially the pitch. Um, I just kind of did a couple threads laying up the case. Uh, and then I just kind of tried to pick things that I thought, you know, in five years, it'll probably, I'll look smart looking back on kind of having shared this stuff. It was usually stuff that was like not that insightful. I'm, I've always been, and I'm still super bullish on WeWork and just like the shared real estate, kind of like the co-working space. I think WeWork had its own host of problems. Um, but I was like, no, this is actually like a smart model if you can figure out how to work it. I think 
WeWork would have been fine if it was a different kind of, if it was managed a little bit differently. Um, so that was like one of the things I would like pick to write about. Um, and then when Musical.ly rebranded as TikTok, I was just like, holy cow, this is like the best product I've ever used. Why is no one talking about this? Just kind of sharing, sharing things. And again, like looking back, it looked insane. Like, why is this guy talking about this stuff? This is like wrong. Um, but that's kind of the point of being a good investor. You kind of have to pick stuff that other people aren't talking about or focused on. Cause that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's how you make money as an investor and like outperform the rest of the market. Like you can probably go right now and say web three is the future crypto, whatever, but that's kind of reflected in prices. So you just kind of have to be careful. Um, like going back, you know, talking about real estate's a tricky real estate software is a tricky market. Startups are probably, they have lower valuations. So if you can find something that work, that works, like you'll make more money as an investor. Um, so that was kind of the, the goal of all of it was just like find, find stuff that I could talk about publicly that in the future, looking back. And I thought this would be five or 10 years in the future. Um, like at the time I was like pretty confident that Snapchat would be fine, but I did not know what the timeline would look like. Um, so that was kind of the playbook that I used initially. Just got a lot of smart people kind of following me, paying attention. I met a ton of people that way. Um, I think kind of the the playbook is you, you share interesting things. And then when you reach out to people, they'll look you up or you can share them when you reach out and they'll say like, oh, this person has some interesting thoughts around things. Like, you know, maybe I'll take the time to talk to them or maybe I'll follow them on Twitter. Um, I think like a common playbook is, um, and this is like something you'd maybe see a couple of years ago was like Mark Andreessen would say something and people would be like commenting and replying and he would interact with them. That was a common strategy probably like five years ago when he tweeted more. I think he's recently started again. He's basically posted some memes over the last couple of days. Uh, but if you kind of take like different um, accounts on Twitter per se, and like someone like, um, like the morning brew account and you just reply with them or like the meme accounts, honestly, I get, I like know all the meme accounts at this point. I just like, we just like troll each other basically. That's ultimately what we do. But I, I would say just like interacting with them and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be memes. I mean, it can be people like, let's say someone that you really admire, like a VC or something like, like a Chris Dixon, you're really into web three and crypto. He's sharing some things. You ask him questions, you interact with it. A lot of other people will see it. They'll click on your, your timeline, they'll see what you're sharing. Like, oh, this person, I like what they're saying. Maybe, or maybe I disagree, but like they have a good point. So like I'll interact with them and you just kind of get to meet people that way. Um, I think it's way more effective than doing things like in person. I think it scales a lot more. Um, totally. I, and and for me, I was just forced into doing it. Like I could not just go to a happy hour or go to like a, a lunch where people were just kind of meeting up in San Francisco because I was in Michigan. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I used. And I would recommend it again today, a little bit of a different, a different style. Um, I think memes are a little bit more like accepted and appropriate now. Um, But you kind of just find like, what's something I can do to put my like, I hate the word thought leadership. So that's not the word I'm going to use, but like, put your thoughts out there and have people see how you think. Um, I think that's kind of the beauty of the internet. And it can be, it can be insightful, it can be satire and humor. It can be like compassion. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, but I think if you're trying to make the jump into VC, let's say you're trying to get a job at whatever fund, like you're trying to get your first job out of school. Basically, the, these people are hiring for someone to like 
basically outsource the work. They want to basically say, if I hire you, you will make my job easier. You'll either help me find companies, you'll help add value to the companies because you're good at something, you're an expert in something. So anything that you can do to show that like you have good relationships with founders that they don't know about or don't have, or you can help founders in a way that they can't, um, that's really all that matters with getting a job. There's a lot of like a BS that goes into how the hiring process works. But I think in general, if you can basically prove that you can like do, do the job before you have it, that's kind of the, the kind of like the secret sauce, I think to just make your, your jump into VC a lot easier. Um, what I did was I did these fantasy VC portfolios. It's like fantasy football, but for investing mm-hmm. like startups. So pretend I had a fake million dollars, fake invested in some companies, just, you know, pretended I was a VC, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but that's actually what ended up getting me a bunch of interviews. Um, Cause I was kind of, you know, sometimes it was startups at VC that never heard of before because they were based in like Portland or they were in Mexico city and instead of San Francisco. And like, they didn't know anybody down in those markets. They were like, huh, this guy's finding things that look, that sound interesting that we've never heard of before. So worth, worth giving him an interview. Um, so that's kind of, I guess at a high level, some of the ways I thought about it. And it was based, you know, my, my strategy was a little bit different because I was married with a, two-year-old when I like took my first job in VC. So I couldn't just quit, take like I, and that's ultimately what I did was I quit. I took a huge pay cut, um, but I had to be really strategic about how I did it. Cause I didn't have a whole lot of money and I couldn't like live in a closet with a friend or, or anything like that. So I had to be like pretty strategic of like, I need to make a very concentrated, like high percentage chance of this working out kind of bet. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people will say you should probably get a job working in a startup, never the wrong route. I think that's, that can be helpful to prove all those things I just talked about. That can also work. Mm-hmm. Um, and same thing, getting a job at a startup work exactly the same as with VC. They just, founders are super busy. There's a million things going on. If they can be like, oh, Landon's really good at this, this thing. I'll just, he'll, I'll outsource to him. He'll take over this function for me, like all the growth or all the HR or all the engineering and I cannot worry about it and work on like the other CEO founder things. And, and if he does a good job, that's how you'll get promoted. They'll help you find your next job. They'll help you. They'll, they'll say, Hey, VCs that I, that invested in me, you should talk, you should hire Landon. He's like a, he's insane. Like he's so good at what he does. Like he's a huge part of the team. I don't want him to leave, but he, I know he'd be a good VC. So you should take a shot on him. Um, That's another way to go. Um, neither of them is wrong, just different. It, it works different for different people. Different people are interested in, in different routes in. So, you know, look for ways to stand out, you know, build relationships. But overall, you know, he or she that owns the memes owns the future. I believe Elon said that a few months ago. Um, so <laughs> yeah. let's let's break down a few things that you say, um, said here. Um, first yeah. off, I really enjoyed hearing the um, you talk about Snapchat and the thread days because that's actually how I found you on Twitter years ago. So very mm-hmm. surreal that I'm able to speak with you right now, remembering that. Um, you mentioned that you, you know, toy around and play around with a lot of these, um, you know, meme pages on Twitter, other platforms as well. But um, you've gone yeah. even further. Something that I noticed, um, I was looking at the LPs within your fun one, which I'd love to be able to talk about right now. You have a few of these like meme pages as LPs within your fund, you know, liquidity, ramp capital, VC starter kit. Um, so let's talk about fund one, you know, which you announced April of 2021. I believe it's a $10 million fund. You've invested like 55 to 60% so far. Check sizes are 25,000 to 300, 
thousand. What are some key things that you've learned from this fund? Um, and talk to me and us about some of the companies that you've invested in so far. Yeah, that's there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah, I think the 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 process of of raising the fund. Um, so I was after I took the first kind of I took this internship to make the jump into VC. It was an awesome firm called A Four Capital. They focus on pre seed stage. They were basically looking for an intern to just kind of help out eight hours a week. That was kind of the expectations. Uh, they had never really hired anyone full time on the team, and they were just like, you know. You, I mean, I think you'd be a good fit. We'd love to have you come help out. And I kind of convinced them that I was going to work full time because uh, I, I didn't kind of want to slowly wade into this. I wanted to make the jump. And I was just like, I'm fully committed. I don't want to like be a part-time VC eight hours a week. Like I want to do it like 60 or hundred hours a week. So I, I quit my job. Basically, like I said, I was getting paid like an intern working eight hours a week, but I was working full time and then um, had no expectations of raising my own fund was really, I was trying to find a job. Like I was trying to basically not be burning money anymore each month while still like being an investor. Um, so I met, (laughs) yeah. So I met, um, my two partners at Gelt. I had met them a couple, probably like a year and a half before I started at a four. And they, they were always like, you know, we always had good conversations after I'd started at a four, they were, and even before I started at four, they were kind of trying to convince me to come work with them. Eventually it got to the point where they just said, Hey, like, let's, you come work with us. They have, they have a real estate firm. They have just over 2 billion in assets. It was a little lower at the time. This was pre COVID. Um, but they had basically pitched me like, Hey, we'll raise a fund together. We'll split everything three ways. You know, you can be a partner of the fund and we'll raise the fund from our real estate LPs and then you'll invest it. And it was awesome. I don't know how to raise money. I've never, I think I don't know any rich people. Like I don't know any billionaires, let alone millionaires. Like this is awesome. Um, and they were basically like, yeah, we like think you're going to be a good investor. So we'll give you full reins, full control. Um, so this is pre COVID. We kind of started investing their, their, their contribution into the fund. And then COVID hit, which just made it really difficult to raise the fund. It was like a first time fund. Uh, we were like a real estate firm trying to raise a venture fund. Uh, some of their LPs, you know, they just reduced check sizes, kind of backed out commitments. Our first close was in March. March 31st of 2020, literally like the worst possible time. Just, it was bad timing, bad luck on a lot of things. And I was just kind of trying to raise the fund from wherever I could. And, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, I don't really like this, this real estate structure. Like, I don't really like how this works, but if you ever launch your own thing, we'll invest in it. And so I ended up getting more people interested in investing in my own fund than were invested in that wanted to come into the existing fund with my with my other partners. Um, so we basically, once we had the final close of the fund, we fully invested it. Um, we just had the conversation of, I think I'm just, I'm just going to do my own thing. I, I was never ready for it, but people wanted me to do it. Like there were LPs that wanted to invest in it. Um, so officially made the jump kind of January 1st of 2021. Um, kind of went back to initially, it was just a lot of the people that I've been co-investing with getting to know over the last couple of years. Um, In some sense, it's almost like a, if you're familiar with how scout programs work in VC, that's like kind of what it is. There's a lot of VCs, people who lead series A rounds, maybe they're Mm -hmm. like a crossover investor, they're a hedge fund that's, you know, public markets, but they're starting to invest in the private markets. You know, they're like, Hey, Turner, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars. Just let us know who are your best portfolio companies we want to follow on, um, which is great because then I know, 
that people that they'll be following on capital for my portfolio company. So a couple of people like that. Um, then just like some friends, you know, they'd give me like, you know, if they don't have a lot of money, but they're like, Hey, I'll give you like 25 grand, 50 grand. Um, some founders I backed in the past when I told them that I was doing a lot of them don't have a lot of money, but they were just like, I'll give you like $5,000. A couple of them gave me a thousand. Again, they're like founders don't have a lot of money. And then yeah, with the meme pages, I was basically just like, I was like, oh, hey, by the way, because I would like talk to these people pretty consistently, you know, became good friends with a lot of them. And I was like, hey, by the way, I'm raising a fund. Like, I don't know if you if you invest in funds, but I think it would be hilarious if you, you know, invest and just whatever you want to do, like no, no hard feelings, uh, <laughs> like no expectations, but I thought I'd offer. So just had a couple of them that were like, yeah, like, of course. And some of them, you know, like the VC starter kits of the world, you can probably imagine that somebody who's like kind of more in the, the VC yep. ecosystem. So they've done some angel investing and, you know, liquidity. I don't know how closely everyone follows uh, that kind of like media brand, but they're basically like a, they're like a full blown, like Bloomberg 2.0. No, I know. Yeah. 2.0. Um, so, they, I mean, they're starting to get into some, he, the, the, that like entity, there's like multiple people that kind of run it now. Um, mm-hmm. They're, you know, kind of raising their own venture fund. They're starting to think about all their, the stuff that they're doing. So it's just cool to like get to know those people. Um, and then, yeah, had a couple larger checks from like institutional investors and family offices and you know, probably raise banana fund too pretty soon. Haven't like officially started yet, but early 2022. So. But overall, I mean, these LPs, they trust you because you've built credibility through your brand, um, through the many memes and awesome content that you've shared online. So I think that really shows the importance of building a personal brand. Um, You know, a lot of people, they want to have that fun one day, but are you willing to do the steps that it takes to get there? Um, And it's not all, you know, easy and it's not all fun along the way, but you took your time to build it. And of course, you know, at the right time, you were able to launch it. So really excited to hear about fun too, as well. Um, And something I want to dive a little deeper to um, as well, Turner, is, you know, because we spoke and we actually wrote um, about solo VCs, you know, in one of our newsletters a few weeks ago, um, our VC newsletter. And we've noticed um, a lot of trends. Just solo VCs have become increasingly popular because of their willingness to offer founders better terms and higher prices than traditional VCs. I'm curious, what are you able to offer founders as a solo VC? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily better prices or like better terms. I think that's maybe part of it. I think in general, like the, if you just kind of think about the way that a lot of legacy institutions have been affected by the internet, mm-hmm. it's kind of happening to venture where it's more of like the individual consumer. It's like bottoms up. Like you, you don't really, you don't turn on TV and watch ESPN. You go to LeBron's Instagram page or like it's more about the individual, like the personal brand than kind of like a, a big institution. So I think that's honestly part of it. And really, if you're a founder, you know, some sometimes the brand of the fund that you take money from is important, but you're working with the individual every day, every week, once a month, once a quarter. It just depends on the cadence and how kind of the relationship is. But you really like to a certain extent, yeah, it's cool to raise money from a certain fund, but like you really have to like the person that you work with. So that's another thing too. I think a lot of people just the, they, they like the idea of just working, like having an individual that's like that they solely partner and work with. Um, I think also the way a lot of these funds are structured, they there's like 10 managing partners or like 10 decision makers. 
I'm exaggerating this a little bit, but you have to get consensus from a lot of different people. And let's say, let's say it's a, it was solo GP, quote unquote, they're 28 years old. They understand everything that you're doing, but then you're also talking to a fund where the, the guy who calls the shots is this like 65 year old who, you know, has been on vacation six months of the last year. And there's like four other partners that don't really, some of them hate each other. Like, They've had, you know, this, this guy is like one, one person on the team, let's say she's trying to push a deal across the table and get consensus, but someone else at the firm is actually doesn't like her because she like vetoed one of his deals in the past. So there's like some animosity. I'm making a very extreme example here, Um, but that can be part of it too. It's just like, it's just tough to get some of these things across the finish line. Some of the bigger firms, you you have to get agreement around things. Uh, Sometimes the timelines can be a little bit longer too. You just have to meet more people at the fund versus if it's a solo GP, you know, I will meet a founder and be like, this is awesome. Like sometimes we'll do a call for 30 minutes. It gets extended to an hour or two hours. And I decide like right there, I've decided I'm going to pull the trigger. Um, Sometimes it'll be like, cool. I want to like keep talking. We set up another call like a day or two later. You can just be really fast and you don't have quite as many, you know, uh, like hoops you have to jump to uh, jump through quite as much red tape. Um, you, there's basically like less, there's less friction around the whole process. Um, so I think in, in general, like that's kind of why I guess if I had to kind of give the high level reasons for it, um, and I think overall, I think it's good for founders. Like, I, I think overall get, getting more choice for that kind of stuff is awesome. Um, I think it is, it is tough to be a solo GP. I probably made some dumb investments from like not having a bunch of older, more experienced species around the table being like, this is not smart um, or you should think through this a little bit more. Um, but overall, I think, I think it's overall good for everyone. It's just the way it's going. I think it's probably, this is, a, this is not an original insight, but it's basically, it's going towards really big funds and really small funds and anything in the middle is kind of a tricky spot. Um, and so with GPs, it's like one person, or maybe one person with a small team. Um, so I think overall it's good. It's good for founders. Um, I think it's basically like the more, the more capital you can unlock and like invest in technology, it makes the world a better place overall net net. So I think it's all a good thing. Loved your answer, man. I mean, you explained that so clearly. So thank you. Um, so Turner, I have one more question before we transition to our next segment, um, five minute favorites. It's a new segment we're going to be doing for venturing in VC. Very excited okay. for that one. But before we get there, um, do you have any major predictions on certain sectors or businesses that you think are going to be, you know, the the big growth sectors of 2022, similar to how crypto and Web3 dominated a lot of 2021? Honestly, I'm not really a predictions guy. Uh, Snapchat though, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really not somebody that comes out and makes these grand predictions about the future. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess if I had to make predictions on anything, I mean, I think th- this is more of like a 10 year time horizon, but I think what we've seen in FinTech over the last five years, I think that's what the next couple of years could look like in healthcare basically similarly it's a very large market that's super regulated not a whole lot of like software and technology that's impacted a lot of these processes um, but when you really think about it the ltv of a customer in healthcare is generally very large um, so same with fintech i mean even in consumer fintech you know you acquire me as a customer 
I'm probably going to get a mortgage with you. I'll get a car loan. Probably going to make tens of millions or tens of thousands of dollars off of me. Similar thing in healthcare. Like you're going to serve a customer over a long period of time, probably going to make a lot of money from them. Um, it's not something that's been talked a lot about, not a lot of blog posts or like fortune cookie tweets on this. Um, but I think that, and even on the B2B side, like B2B fintech, you know, we talk about Brex, Ramp, all this money that they're raising. But like, if you really think, I think about how much money someone makes banking Apple, like Apple does tons of loans, tons of debt. That's probably worth tens of millions of dollars, that relationship. So, you know, we're, we're stretching it a little bit in the future, but there's probably some early customers of Ramp, Brex, et cetera, that they acquired for $1,000 that are going to be worth tens of millions to them over the course of the next couple decades. Um, so anyways, same thing on, on the healthcare side, like healthcare benefits, B2B. Um, imagine what the LTV, like what's the value of Apple as a customer if you're an insurance company, like 100 million employees. Like Apple's probably paying you billions of dollars. That's but probably hundreds of millions in cash flow that you're generating just from Apple over the course of the next couple of decades. So, um, but we don't really think about it like that right now. It's just, you know, healthcare, it's hard, it's regulated. Uh, but that's something I've been thinking about a lot, how it's kind of changing. I don't know what, I don't have any grand predictions. I'll probably be wrong to try to give you something, but it's basically just like technology and software reducing the friction around mm-hmm. some of the processes. Um, I think emerging markets are just like in general an interesting spot right now. Valuations have like accelerated really quickly, really fast, which I think you have to be careful about Um, on the crypto web three side. It's an interesting wedge to acquire users. I think you have to like, you have to solve a problem for the end consumer, um, which, you know, I think a lot of people are still figuring that out. Um, So I think you just want to be, um, you want to be really cognizant of just like the the valuations that you're kind of entering in some of these companies. I just think, you know, if you're trying to generate returns as a VC, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. And so, sometimes I think you want sometimes investing in really hyped up companies works and sometimes it doesn't. So I think you just have to be really careful. So So a lot of truth to that. I think that a lot of times we just want to follow, you know, the new sexy term that everybody's talking about and, you know, really stoked on or excited about. But, uh, you know, I feel like just within you as an individual doing your own due diligence, you can find something that, you know, you really think will have upwards growth in the future that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about. So I think that's a really good insight there. Um, So Turner, let's uh, transition to five minute favorites. This is our speed round. So I'm going to give you some topics, you know, just quick one-liners and I don't want you to think too much of it. You know, we're going to talk about just your favorite (laughs) blank, favorite, this favorite, that, and uh, just be open, honest, and um, not scared. You know, this is not going to hurt. It's going to be fun. So uh, we'll start with number one, you know, what was your favorite meme of 2021? Favorite meme. That's on brand, right? Yeah. Uh, Favorite meme. I just think the tiger global memes are all hilarious because like, they're not, they're not really true. Like a lot of people are like, oh, Tiger doesn't do any diligence. They just like write checks. They actually do more than most VCs. They just do it up front. Like instead of what the, the way that most VCs do it is they'll they'll meet with you. They'll take a bunch of meetings, try to understand it. Whereas Tiger would just be like, oh, this company looks cool. Let's pay our consultants a couple thousand bucks to do a bunch of research for us over the next week. Send us a PowerPoint or a PDF with a hundred slides. We'll read it and then decide if we want to invest or not. And then we'll reach out to the company. And there's like two questions we need. And if we like them, then we'll invest. Um, it's a lot different than how 
<laughs> like well, it's you. perceived. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, people say like, oh, they're just, in, they're throwing money around really high valuations. Well, they're probably like, ah, these, this company is ridiculously undervalued because of what we know. We know that it's like, we're, we're happy to pay an even higher price. Well, and that's really what's happening with some of these valuations is mm-hmm. there's going to be a breaking point at some point. Um, but there's a lot of funds that say like, we know this is probably going to be a publicly traded company one day. Why don't we just, why don't we just do whatever we can to win and be the ones that invest and instead of getting a 50% IRR or hundred percent IRR over the next 10 years, let's just get 30 or 20. We'll just accept the lower returns and invest in the best companies. Um, so again, it's a little bit different than how they're perceived, but I think the memes are hilarious because it's just mm-hmm. so funny. No, I've seen a few. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, I love when people just like joke around because it's like not really, it's like kind of, maybe it's a little correct. Um, I think any, any um, I'm trying to think of like any specific trend. Uh, I think like the, the one where it's like people will do all of this blank, 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 instead of just going to therapy. That's always been one of my favorite mm-hmm. ones. Like, I think they're like, it'll be like tech bros will launch a new tech hub instead of just going to therapy or something. <laughs> that's probably one of the, that's, that's there's, there's truth to that though. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, and again, like the thing I love about memes is like, they're usually exaggerated. Of there's maybe like a little bit of truth in it, but it's always like a little bit over the top. And I think most people know that. Um, so that's kind of what I love, what I love about it. Uh, number two, what's your favorite book? Favorite book, uh, overall Ender's game. I don't know if you ever read that hmm. one. I haven't read it. Like, I've heard of it though. Yeah. There's a movie. It's probably easier to watch the movie yeah. if you want to get the real quick summary, but it's basically like super futuristic aliens, some kids that they super smart kids. They like train them to do like inner space strategic battles with the aliens with like simulations. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's worth reading if you like, uh, kind of like sci-fi futuristic stuff. And there's, there's probably like nine books total in the series. There's like a couple different offshoots and like prequel sequels to it. Um, that's probably overall favorite. Another book I really like called collapse. I read it in college. It's basically a study of each chapter is a different civilization throughout human history. Uh, that basically like a civilization that just collapsed and vanished from the earth. Uh, basically in every single case, they used up all their resources, didn't think ahead, and they just they exhausted all their resources on their island or in whatever place they were at. Mm-hmm. And the end of the book is like, yeah, we're doing the same thing on Earth as a whole with the whole planet. Um, it's pretty. It's it's not fun to read. Like you read it, and that sounds like, wow, pretty familiar. <laughs> we're screwed. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when I first read it, it was like freshman year of college, and I was like, wow, that's like this is this is real, like. So, um, yeah, it was probably, probably two favorites, um, investing books, one mm-hmm. called the intelligent investor, really boring book, not worth reading, but I read it in college. It was interesting. It's, um, it's one of your favorites. <laughs> good for just like return to the basic, you know, it's like, it's like about like value investing and like public stocks yeah. and like, you know, how to not lose money on your investing, which is not that similar to VC, but I think it's worth just understanding like the mindset. Um, always like that one. Like I said, super boring book, very old. It was written in like the thirties or the forties, not very relevant. The chapters are all, you know, it's like 500 pages, really dense. Um, but I like that one. It's just a classic mm-hmm. kind of a, like a boomer type of answer, but 
Uh, number three, and I want to remind you, speed round, because we have 15 okay. of these to get through. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, number three, favorite person that you follow on Twitter? Can't be yourself. Favorite <laughs> person? Uh, favorite person? I would say uh, <laughs> probably Nikita Beer, if anybody follows okay. him. I love that guy. He's just funny. He he He's, like, similarly just kind of, like, makes jokes about things but he has like a so there's like a kernel of truth to all of them and like occasionally mm-hmm. he'll share things that are pretty insightful uh i love another guy named ho nam he's like one of the founders of altos ventures not altos ventures he i just love him he's just like really down to earth like shares a lot of really just like practical stuff um love him too um favorite city to travel to in the u.s see you travel to uh I really like Miami. LA. LA? Yeah, okay. I'm actually, yeah, I've actually never been to Miami. I think I've driven through. Wow. Okay. Is that somewhere? I mean, because that's something that you know is the very sexy term that a lot of people have been talking about. Is that a place oh, yeah. that you've been interested in, or um, you know, you've just kind of been seeing what Miami, comes next? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I haven't been able to go. I mean, it's it's because I have a five year old and a one year old. The the one year old's mm-hmm. not vaccinated, so anytime we travel, I just try to be pretty serious about you know quarantining afterwards. I just feel like if I go to Miami, I'll get COVID and it turns into like a three, four week trip. So I just haven't made it there yet. Um, But I I love LA. That's probably my top. I could pick somewhere to live that or like, um, like Singapore, like Thailand Mm. or something somewhere cool. in like Southeast Asia, just different culture and climate. That'd be cool. Favorite podcast. Uh, definitely the This Week in Startups, Jason's podcast. <laughs> and you were just on. Yeah, yeah. A few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I like uh, Harry Stebbings one too. It's a good one. Yeah. I, I like Venture. Like Venture. Yeah. Excuse me. Venture Unlocked is also a good one by mm-hmm. Samir Kaji. It's kind of a, not quite as, as established, uh, but he has some really good stuff. Yeah, no, that's a really good show too. Um, favorite company or like just like the most innovative company that won in 2021? The most innovative company that won. I don't even know. Uh, uh, most innovative company, favorite company. I mean, I'm trying to think of like any like portfolio p- companies I could pump on the on the <laughs> show. That's like the classic VC thing to do. Uh, one one of my portfolio companies. It's called Fastly. They're based in Brazil. They, uh, it's essentially like a product for lower income consumers in Brazil. They went from basically not existing a year and a half ago mm-hmm. to they're now doing like seven, seven million orders a week. That was back in October, you know, Whoa. and that's, I, I don't know what the monthly growth rate is on that number specifically, but if you kind of like think about the trajectory that they're on, um, it's a, it's a very similar product to Pindodo over in China. If anyone's familiar with that company. Um, but I think they've just, they're basically serving like a consumer base that has never been able to order things on the internet because, uh, just it's, it's too expensive. They don't have enough income to like afford to pay for shipping and, and all that stuff. Um, so it's kind of like unlocked e-commerce for like the bottom make up a number, like 80% of consumers in Latin America. Um, so just, and you know, they're building really interesting business. So. And that's fastly. So we'll make sure to pin that to the video and so people can check them out. Um, what's your favorite song, band, or artist? Uh, 
favorite, probably overall lifetime have to be Avicii. Uh, mm. Always been really into EDM. Um, just like I liked every song that he put out. I like the earlier stuff a little bit better, um, but he was always good. Uh, and also, <laughs> I've always been a huge Justin Bieber fan. Uh, I it's probably more of it's like when when the the first stuff when it came out, you're like, ah, oh, who's this kid? This sucks. This is for kids. The next album, you're like, all right, it's okay. I still don't like it though. The next album, you're like, yeah, this is kind of cool. And then the next album, you're like, yeah, this it's is good. Good. <laughs> like, yeah, like, this is good. Like, yeah, like he's good. So I don't know, have respect for him. Uh, I like the music. I like Garrett, Gareth Emery. If you know him, um, I've always really liked like Cascade. Um, trying to think like Blau, you know, if you know him, he's like a mashup artist. He's big in like crypto stuff. I really like all his style of EDM. Um, yeah, those are probably some of the favorites. Uh, what about your favorite food? Food. Uh, I like pizza. Pizza. Any type specifically or just overall? <laughs> uh, pizza. Like I eat plant-based, so I like, uh, barbecue sauce with just like, I don't know, any kind of like fake plant-based chicken or some kind of meat and then like mushrooms and like vegan cheese. It's not, and then I, of course you gotta get like some spinach or something, get some veggies on it. But um, that's my favorite. We have a pizza oven. We make homemade pizza every Friday night. I look forward to it every week. So looking forward to the invite. We're learning a lot about you today, Turner. <laughs> the final question we have, because I do want to um, use the last 10 minutes for audience Q&A. We had some great questions come in. Uh, what's the favorite piece of advice that you've ever received from someone? Uh, favorite piece of advice, like, do the job before you have it. So just, I mean, I feel like, if we're talking about career stuff, making a jump into VC, that's what I've always tried to do, whether it's like getting my first job, raising my fund, like raising the next fund, how I can like convince a founder to let me invest in their company. You basically just like show what it's going to be like once the thing you're trying to do happens. And you just, mm -hmm. you basically, you almost don't ask permission. Um, I, I don't mean that in like a negative way. It's just like, you just go out and do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Um, that's, I think really it's like pretty simple but it's kind of difficult to do. Um, but it could just cause like a, not a lot of people do it. It's, it's hard. Um, so yeah, that's probably been the, the thing I always try to just remember and like tell other people, um, if you're trying to make, if you're trying to make the jump into VC, that's the way to do it is like prove that you can do the job, prove that founders that VCs want to give money to, you know, will take money from you as a, and I'm assuming probably the age on this probably skews a little bit younger. So you know, it can be tough, but I think just general, like you just like, just pretend you're the founder. What do I need to get done? Yeah. Or just like, you know, ask them, they're like, you know, we're trying to basically every founder is trying to hire people. So if you're in college, who are smart people, you know, that should get jobs at startups, hook the founders up, like get these, like help the founders with like hiring engineers, designers. Um, let's say, let's say you're like, Hey, I'm really good at TikTok or YouTube marketing. I know there's a huge opportunity for you to do this. And here's, here's all the things I've done. Or like, I redesigned your landing page and like think that things will convert better. Literally just like make things up and just go do it for the founder. Cause that's what they're going to hire you to do anyways. Um, or, or, and that's why they'll let you invest. Cause they like want people who will pro proactively help them out or, or at least get out of their way. Uh, and that's why the, let me know how I can be helpful thing with VCs kind of became a meme because 
you know, they wouldn't actually do anything. They'd just say like, Oh, you know, good to meet you. Let me, let, let us know how we can help you. But like, they, wouldn't, they, they don't do anything. So that's kind of the secret is just actually do it, figure out how you can be helpful and just go do it. I love that. That's super powerful. Um, I agree hundred percent. Jake also is always preaching that do the work. So uh, that's something that a lot of people can uh, learn a lot from. Um, so we do have some time for audience questions. And if you guys have any more, please, I mean, feel free to put them in the chat and um, I'll ask with the last seven minutes we have with Turner. Um, we have a question. We'll start with Ian. How important is the team to you as an investor, uh, their experience, et cetera? What is the team? Uh, I mean, I think it's one of the most important things. I think the team and the market are probably the two questions that at a high level you try to answer. Uh, the, the thing is the market might change. You might fund them doing like Web3 crypto stuff, but then they launch a quick commerce company or like a SaaS for farmers. Mm-hmm. None of those things are related. Uh, so it's important that the people you back, you basically say, will they figure out how to acquire will they figure out what customers need will they figure out how to sell it to them can they hire people can they hire hundreds of people can they teach other people to do things can they delegate can they figure out like a business model with like unit economics that work can they can they then like sell the company or can they manage a publicly traded business do earnings calls with analysts like again that's like very far in the future but you basically have to be able to say like do we think these people can figure this that process out over the next couple of years. Um, I think to market it is super important also uh, just because like there's certain areas that like, you know, I want to be exposed to, let's say like, I really want to invest in Mexico. So like, I want to invest in, like Mexican FinTech, like sometimes maybe that's a better place to invest than like, you know, us B2B AI SaaS or something. Like maybe that's just a hard place to, to build a company right now, but like mech, FinTech in Mexico is like wide open. So um, it's basically the team that's executing in a certain market. I think, you know, I'd maybe wait when you're like looking, I'd say you basically look at certain markets right off certain markets that you don't like. And then within the certain general markets or themes, then like the team is the most important thing to get right. Mm-hmm. But oh, super answer. early. I mean, and it depends too. If you're investing at pre-seed, that's all that matters. If you're investing at like the series A, the metrics have to work. Like you really need there to be like some kind of a business, you know, at the series C it's like, there's basically a spreadsheet, just click and dragging the spreadsheet out a couple of years to like see what things look like. They've kind of solved a lot of this, the problems mm-hmm. they're building and you know, it all becomes a little bit different. Can they add new product lines over time, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, we have a question from Tamron on YouTube. How do you feel about launch house or AR house? If we work was a bull case for you. How does it make you feel? Um, I've never heard of AR House. I will Google that right now. Uh, <laughs> Launch House, I think it's a really good idea. I mean, I think anything that just helps people find community and um, create yeah. products. Yeah. I don't know. What is AR House? I've I'm never heard of AR House. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, 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 anything you can do to make it easier for people to, you know, learn how to solve problems for customers, learn about how to build a business, um, like a sustainable business around like long, long term. I think those are all really good things. Um, the like good initiatives overall. I don't know. I've talked to a couple people at launch house, just like Mm -hmm. in the DMS, seeing what they're doing. Uh, never 
been to an event, seen the TikToks, you know, seems like there's some interesting people coming out of there. I'm an investor in on deck. I don't know if it's a similar concept. So I really like what like those guys are doing. Uh, I guess the shared co-living situation can kind of like simulate like the getting in the fires of a startup, like you're all in it together versus maybe something like a more of like an accelerator is a little bit less like intense startup, if that makes sense. Just because with like launch outs, it's like, hey, everyone's living together for 10 weeks or whatever it is. And like, we're all in the fire together. Uh, so I think can be super helpful. Yeah, um, I spoke with Brett a few weeks ago, one of the co-founders uh, at Launch House, and uh, he put it very interestingly where he said, um, you know, why they've seen so much success, you know, like why people um, that are community me- members end up, you know, staying friends is because it's almost like you're solving a common problem together. You know, you're yeah. living in a house, even though it's a glorious and luxurious house. I mean, it can be very difficult to live with people you don't know, you know, having to deal with all yeah. those issues and stuff. Um, so and it's kind of fun. Gamify yeah. it. And I think if you really look at just like the history of Silicon Valley, what happens is like there's these alumni networks, mafias mm-hmm. from like certain companies and businesses. It's basically just groups of people that spend a lot of time together. So mm-hmm. if you say uh, these people at Launch House spend a ton of time together, maybe you could say that like that's building like a similar type of bonding and camaraderie when everyone's remote and like basically every single team, excuse me, is distributed. So there's less of that that happens at companies and like you need to figure out other ways to make that happen. Um, I, I don't know how true that is. I think directionally, maybe it's like 50% uh, correct, but I do think like overall, any anything that just like makes it easier for people to to launch, de- like de-risk the opportunity of entrepreneurship and like set them up mm-hmm. for success. I think it's all awesome. That's a win. No, I totally agree. Uh, question from Tasha on YouTube. Do you put more emphasis on pre-sales or whether you like the business model slash idea? Mm, I think it's both important. I would probably put more emphasis on the just the business model and like the idea and the product and the market. That said, I do always love to see just like traction in whatever capacity i think we we invest like pre-seed to pre-ipo but like the average entry point is like seed and series a um so on average we're investing when there's like a little bit of traction um but we have invested like many many times just like pre any kind of anything existing like they haven't even incorporated the company yet and we've told them that we're in uh, so i think that the the if you're if you're a founder raising money anything you can show it's the same thing like show it before you actually do it like show that cust- that customers will pay you or will use your product like you know showing that there's interest is a certain level showing that people use it once you built it and then sh- showing that they've paid for it those are like different thresholds the higher up you can get in that it's like oh wow you, you're it's not a company but people are paying you like you're still side like this is a side hustle and you have like 20 people who want to pay you a hundred dollars a month for it like okay maybe there's something here um, that's kind of like the ladder of um, customer intent. You can kind of go up. So that's, I, I guess, kind of how I think through it. Totally. Turner, I just want to say thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. We want to be respectful of your time, uh, even though there are many more questions that came in. You have a lot of founders to meet with, a lot of tweets to send out. But man, just thank you so much. <laughs> you shared so many great insights. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad that we had it with you for number one. Uh, so yeah, thanks for having me. This is so much fun. And you can sign up for episode two of Venturing in VC at inside.com slash VIVC to get an exclusive look at next week's special guest. Thank you so much, everybody.
Today's episode of Venturing in VC is brought to you by SeedInvest, the curated equity crowdfunding platform helping entrepreneurs raise the capital they need from seed stage to series D by harnessing the awesome power of the crowd. Learn more about how you can get your business in front of SeedInvest's network of over 600,000 investors looking for opportunities at www.inside.seedinvest.com.